You're listening to WNHH Community Radio 103.5 in New Haven. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. We're digging into stories of food, radical love, and creative social justice. Jeremy Cahigas and Jamila Washington are two of the teen organizers with the Citywide Youth Coalition, responsible for leading New Haven's June 5th protest for Black Lives. Over 5,000 people packed the streets, led by teens and Black Lives Matter New Haven, calling for a divestment from police and an investment into our schools and communities. Jeremy and Jamila join us today to share their perspectives on youth organizing, defunding police, and the importance of music and dance in protest, and a lot more. Jeremy and Jamila, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. So the protest was really an amazing success here. And I wanted to just invite you to start by sharing your experience of what it was like to be leading that event in New Haven just over a week ago. I could start if you'd like. Yeah, go ahead. So it was my first time ever like leading a rally or anything of the sort. So I was like nervous, but I was also really excited about like the outcome and everything like that. So being there, like actually being in like the moment and leading was very like, it was overwhelming, but it felt very powerful for me. Like I felt little me doing all this like great work, having all these people like on board with everything, like with all of our demands and everything like that. So it just felt very powerful. And then after like I went home, started to get some rest, I saw all the pictures of like the overview of all the people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, and so much shock because it was like when you're leading and when you're in front, you don't notice that it's that many people until like you actually see the full top view. So I was very shocked, but I was also like so happy for myself and for my team and for everyone who came out to join us. Yeah, those aerial pictures were amazing to see people just stretched like way from almost from like the train station back to the green. So like seven, six, seven blocks packed full. That was great. Jeremy, how about for you? Yeah, for me, as someone who's been doing this work for a good six years now, um, for me, it was important to highlight the leadership of the young people that we've been developing, right? Um, And it was truly an honor to see Jamila and Melody and the other young people like really just step into their power and take control. Um, I had like a really like proud parent moment. And like, once I got home, I actually cried because I was like, those are my young people. Like, I was genuinely so, so happy to see them do that. Um, But we truly weren't expecting the crowd that we got. We planned for like a good 500 to 1000 people. Um, We were not expecting 5000 people and to see the amount of people that showed up in support of the demands um, was really shocking to us as a team because this is work that we've all been talking about like within our office and like how do we get people on board because it sounds like super radical to say like yeah defund the police um so just to see like this moment and see the amounts of people supporting the work is truly amazing yeah absolutely and and we should just explain that you are a peer leader so you used to be a teen member of citywide youth coalition and you are now an employee at, and work as a teen as a peer leader which is super dope um can you before we get into the demands and, and defunding police which i really want to hear your thoughts on um can you talk a little bit about 
um, what you do with the teens to sort of like, and why it's so important to have youth leadership in this movement and in this work? Yeah, so we at Citywide recognize that young people are not only the leaders of tomorrow, but the leaders of today, right? And they are truly the experts in a lot of the policy decisions that we decide to make around this country, right? Um, Particularly when it comes to education policies, because they are the ones in school at the moment. So a lot of the work that we do at Citywide involves um, political education. Um, where we are politicizing our young people and teaching them about the different systems that they interact with every day, right? And we do this work through an anti-racist lens, right? Because we analyze how racism manifests itself in every system that we play with, but also how it manifests itself within ourselves and in our daily lives. So a lot of that work is done through political education, and we also do a lot of um, organizing and um, movement building workshops with them to teach them the strategy steps that you take to plan out a rally and the strategy steps that you have to follow in order to build out a movement. Great. So since we have one of your teens right here, (laughs) Jamila, can you talk about your experience of like going through some of that um, anti-racism learning, political education and and organizing learning and how, like, what were some of the things that were really um, like, powerful for you to learn and, and what what has the experience been of doing having that education so the experience has been it's been a great one if i like if i have to be honest i started when i was in my freshman year of high school doing this work and i was very new like i knew like i i had an idea of like what i wanted to start to get into and what i wanted to learn and they just had all the steps like already out for us So it was like, it was easy to grasp a lot of like the information on anti-racism and things like that. And I learned a lot of like terms and things that I never learned before. And I just feel like it's going to make me a better person and a better organizer, like the keys that we've learned. Like what what kind of things? We just learned a lot of like anti-racism values and we learned like how to just be ourselves, you know, while actually doing this work and trying to stay 100% authentic, like throughout everything, because this is organizing work. Like a lot of things can happen. A lot of bumps can come up, you know? So I think they just, they really teach us how to like be one with our team and make sure we're all on the same page, making sure that we're all like having the same ideas and that we like, you know, we can move on forward, even if there is a bump or something like that. So. Mm, I love that. What what does it mean? Like, I love that you just said that being authentically yourself. Like, what what does that mean to you in terms of like how you show up in your organizing work? Um, it means to me like how it shows up. I think we're all separate individuals and we're all very aware of that. But we also know that we're a team. So like we play on each other's strengths and we know like how everyone is wired and like the things that they can handle, the things they can't handle. So our team works like that and mm. working so far really well for us. Even with the new like young people that come into our spaces, they feel really, they feel really liberated. Cause I know when I first came into the space, it was like a very liberated space for me. So just like the feeling of liberation and the feeling of everyone being themselves just makes you like really tap into your power. And it helps you to understand, like I already had all of these things. I just needed like some tools to help me actually understand. Hmm. 
Jeremy, what do you think it is that you do in the Citywide Youth Coalition training and space to to have people come in and actually feel safe to be themselves and feel like get that? Me- it seems like that message is being communicated in in various ways. What do you think it is that you're doing that helps people feel that? Yeah, so we call our citywide office the Black and Brown Power Epicenter, right? Because we're very clear um, in that space that we are directly building the leadership of Black and Brown young people within the city, right? Um, And also, the minute you walk into our office, you see all of our pride flags up from the um, LGBTQ flag to the um, pansexual flag to the bi flag. Um, you have the Puerto Rican revolutionary flag up. So we really make sure that with everything in the space, we make sure to let people know that they're welcome to be their full authentic selves in that space. We also, um, like Jamila mentioned, call our space a liberated space instead of a safe space, right? Because we can guarantee people um, to be safe in the space, right? But a part of the work of being an organizer and doing this work is that you have to be uncomfortable in order to really grow um, in doing this work. So while we can't offer everybody um, the fact that they'll be comfortable the entire time, we do offer them the safety of making sure that they won't be physically harmed. And it's truly a lot of the work is just recognizing that when we are in like conversations, it's not about attacking someone because of the way that they view things, but sort of like just challenging their way of thinking to see, um, to be able to have deeper conversations and dialogue around what's going on in our community. Mm, Great. Um, Are all of the students who are involved in, or youth involved in Citywide Youth Coalition, black and brown students? Are there white students and other identifying students there? Yeah, we have a complete mix of um, students, right? Um, But all of our work is specifically focused on um, building the leadership of black and brown youth. But we do welcome everybody to join this space because we need those um, white co-conspirators to do this work with as well. Yeah, that's great. Um, okay, so let's get to your eight demands and and kind of this. I was so happy to see you all put this out. It was right in the beginning when people were starting to call for defunding police divestment and reimagining a world without police. And so y'all were totally like on the curve, ahead of the curve. And um, but I saw that you have eight demands. So could you talk about kind of what some of those are and and um, what how you came up with them? Um, So I have to be fully transparent, right? Like when the rest of the staff proposed the idea of having a local rally, I was not on board. I was like, we have a lot going on. Like, do we really want to take this on, right? But then like, I had to like take a step back and recognize like the work we do at Citywide is strictly led by our young people. So it's regardless of how I feel about what we should be doing. So I reached out to Jamila and the rest of our young people and I was like, hey, do you guys want to do a rally? And everybody answered yes. And that same day we were on a Zoom call preparing all of our demands. And they, I was truly shocked um, with how they came up with these demands. And I'm just pulling them up on my phone. Um, but it was, it was an easy process to really come up with those demands because Again, it was conversations that we were already having. Um, so once we were like in the situation to really get those demands together, we were like, oh yeah, we know what we're asking for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
but the first demand was um, the immediate divestment of school resource officers within New Haven Public Schools, um, and that the divestment and termination of the contract should be followed through with an investment in school counselors. Um, for us, that was really about the fact that a lot of our students don't have access to school counselors to begin with. Right. And sometimes the school counselors that they do have, have another 200 to 300 students that they also have to take care of. So their sessions with their counselors aren't really as efficient because the counselor has so many other students that they also have to take care of. Um, so to us, it makes sense. Um, and not only that, we recognize part of like the harm that school resource officers have done within our education system right and a lot of the debate around it is the fact that school resource officers are there to help prevent just in case a school shooting happens or something like that um the reality is that none of the school shootings that have happened have been prevented by school resource office officers, right. right um when we look at statistics from the aclu and stuff like that what we do see is that because of school resource officers, the school to prison pipeline has definitely um, received a large amount of black and brown young people that have been incriminated within our education system. Right, and it often starts with those officers handling things rather than people who are trained in social emotional development and working with young people. Yeah, go ahead, Jamila. And I know for like a lot of us, like thinking of the first one was it came really easy to us also for the fact of a lot of black and brown students, a lot of students in general that go to these schools who have um, the officers in them, they're already over policed in their neighborhoods. So they do not want to come to school right. and be like bag checked every morning and feel like a criminal as soon as they walk into the space. So that was just a thing for us also, because we do have to get bag checked at our high school yeah. and we do have the officers just walking around everywhere. And it makes us uncomfortable because we're already like this in our own neighborhood. So we're like, we need change. This needs to be something that's changed. So yeah. that was also a big issue. Yeah. So important. Um, have people been pushing back at you around this issue or have most people been saying like, yes, this makes sense? We've definitely got a mixed um, opinions. When we look at articles that have been written and read the comments, we definitely see a lot of like opposed views, right? Um, but when we are talking to community members and other students from other organizations, um, we've all pretty much shared the same sentiment that there should be no police officers within our schools. Mm -hmm. And the data backs it up. So <laughs> you have that on your side. It is definitely biased um, treatment of black and brown students uh, by SROs and by police in schools. Um, and then some of your other uh, demands were uh, that $20 million be taken out of the budget for police pensions and allocated towards creating affordable public housing. Yeah, um, we see public housing as a huge, um, affordable public housing as a huge issue within the city, right? As we have um, this big institution, Yale, within our community, and with Yale being here, it's really caused the gentrification of New Haven, and we've seen the lack of public housing um, within the community. So we really want to push the city to move forward in creating more affordable public housing housing within our communities um, and we see that by way of 
taking away $20 million from the New Haven Police Department's pensions. Yeah. Can you talk about, um, you know, the idea of police is that they're supposed to keep us safe, but that is not really what happens. And so something like creating affordable public housing and other things sort of addresses poverty and like ways of, of getting at ending poverty. And is that something that you talk about in terms of like safety through ending poverty? And can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's ending poverty is literally the way to um, build a safer community. When we look at a lot of the crimes that are committed, they're what we call survival crimes, people who have to do what they have to do to provide a better living for their family, um, whether that means that they're selling drugs or they're shoplifting or they're robbing somebody, right? A lot of these are survival crimes for people who really need to do what they have to do to provide for their families. So when we talk about investing in housing and education and mental health um, practices, we are talking about creating a better community that police officers aren't just able to do, right? Because history has proven that police officers don't protect Black and brown communities of anything. They do more harm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's quite a few other demands here, which I don't know that we have to get into all of them, but are there are there any other points in it that feel particularly important that you want to say something about in terms of people in the city really hearing why these are part of your demands? Yeah, I think I think a, one that specifically impacts most of the young people at Citywide because they live within the Bill community is ending the triple occupation um, within New Haven from the Yale Police Department and the Hamden Police Department, right? And we've seen how that manifested through the Stephanie and Paul case. Um, I think it's important that the city itself takes a look at the memorandums that they have with neighboring towns um, and what they're allowing neighboring towns police officers to do within our own communities, right? Um, it should not be allowed that police officers are crossing their jurisdiction into our communities to, whether it's through police chases or whatever they're doing, they should definitely not be coming into our communities to police um, the New Haven police community because we're already over-policed by the New Haven and Yale Police Department as is. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about, uh, like, you are an Afro-Boricua student and talk about kind of the intersections and kind of multiracial spaces that you're working on building within how you're doing your organizing and how does that show up in, um, like just as an example, the way you were leading the protest? Yeah, so I identify as Afro-Boricua, right? And to me, that's very specific to claiming um, my Blackness, right? And the history of, um, Africans within the Caribbean, right? And making sure that I claim that as part of who I am. Um, Also, when we do this work, we are very clear that we need to be as intersectional as possible um, when we're doing this work, right? And we recognize that Afro-Latinos um, often share the same struggles with African-Americans in this country, right? So when we were planning this rally, we were like, how do we bring culture um into this right how do we share culture with the work that we're doing because what we do recognize is that racism and white supremacy the very first thing that it does is dehumanize us by taking away our culture right so in a way for us to rehumanize ourselves and really bring in um humanity into the work that we're doing we like to share culture 
Um, so for me, an artist who's our executive director, um, who identifies Afro-Bodiba as well, we we're like, how do we bring this work in? And to us, it was very clear that Bomba was the way to do that um, because it is a dance that's rooted in um, its African roots, right? And we wanted to make sure to highlight that. And it was something that was able to connect all communities who showed up at the rally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so at the end of the rally, you were in front of the police department and the, what is the name of the group? Movimiento Cultural... Movimiento Cultural. Um, There's a longer name that I always forget, <laughs> but there they set up um, congas and other drums and were playing traditional bomba music. And then other people were dancing and there was like singing and call and response. And this music is like resistance music, right? Like literally the words of the songs are resistant music. Did you, um, how did you, like, did the other teens, Jamila, did you all, um, had you heard Bomba before? Like, what was your exposure to it before the rally? So having, so we did, some of us, like, um, Frenchie, she's in our group and she have like, she does Bomba. So we, like, we've heard it before and everything like that. And we were excited when they said that they were going to have the, the movement like come in like play bomba we were like yes because we want to always highlight the joy in these times too because we know that like these times are like awful and they're terrible but like jeremy was saying like they dehumanize us so like having music having people dancing having people laugh having joy around just highlighted like that we are people but we also still have to fight but we can like we can still like enjoy the life that we're living while we're fighting this fight, you know, because it is going to be a long one and it is going to be challenging, but we should be able to dance and be free. Dancing is always a symbol of like freedom. So like the drums was just like, it was great. Everyone loved it. We all were enjoying it. So great. How did your family feel about you being involved in this organizing and protest? I feel like there was a mix of feelings like they're proud of me that I'm like out here using my voice because I am like kind of shy like I hate being that person to say that but I am um so it was like mixed of mixed opinions like some were on board with it some were like really proud that I was out here using my voice for like good and everything like that and then there was a little pushback they're like but you're like out and exposed and things like that so yeah it was a mix of like Reviews. Yeah. Were you worried about COVID? Is that when you say exposed? Is that what you mean? Exposed in or... the sense that too, but also there was like my, like some of my family members, like were reading some of the comments on some of the articles that we had put out previously before we had like even did our rally. And there was a lot of like negative comments and things like that. So it was just like, okay, we don't know what can happen. Right. You're still a minor. You're still young. So like things like that, because like people get crazy because they they can, you know, so they were just a little pushback there. And obviously, rightfully so. They always want me to be safe. So it was just that whole aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is totally understandable. And it's um, I'm just realizing, like, I wanted to ask you about organizing a rally, a protest out in the street during this pandemic. And what did you do? Like, what were some of the conversations you all had and, and are you having about how to how to continue doing organizing while there's a pandemic going on? Yeah, so that was one of our, like, main concerns when we first, like, started to even plan 
our rally, we were like, but COVID is still a very present thing within like our community and it is killing black and brown folks at an alarming rate. So we're, we were like, we just have to make sure everyone has like, everyone's trying their you know, best to stay away from each other as much as they can. Everyone's wearing their mask. Everyone is like making sure they have their hand sanitizer and they're like being safe, you know, mm-hmm. like gloves if you have them, things like that. Like we were just like, everyone knows that we're like, we're having a pandemic, but there's also another thing like killing us. So we're like, we have to be safe. We have to still take like precautions and the necessary measures to make sure we're safe. And we also talked to our team about making sure we go on a two week quarantine after our protest, just to be sure, Mm. just to make sure that everyone was okay. Wow. Yeah, I mean, and thankfully we had uh, um, doctors for Black Lives who showed up and were handing out masks, right? And we were able to also on our end secure masks to give out. And we had another org and I'm horrible with names, so I can't even remember their name, but they also provided face shields that for us were like more of like protecting us just in case cops were pepper spraying people again like they did at the last rally Mm -hmm. um but also it was as a protective barrier for covid as well yeah that's great um and did you all meet with the mayor and the police before the rally because like the tone of how the police acted at this rally compared to how they acted a few days before when they ended up at after like you know 12 hours of protesting or whatever it was 10 hours of protesting they ended up pepper spraying people at the end and they were out there in riot gear. Um, did you do some advanced communicating before this to, to impact that? Um, so, I mean, I guess we could talk about it because the mayor was asked um, during one of his press conferences as well. Right. Um, there was a meeting that happened with the mayor and it was an accountability meeting around what happened at that Sunday rally, right? Um, so we did have a conversation with him prior to, um, and the police chief actually called us the day of the rally. Um, even with having those conversations, we were still expecting to be met with some type of resistance from the police force, right? Right. Um, because there was a lot of anonymous calls that were coming in from people who work at the state level with policing, um, saying that there was officers that were going to show up in plain clothes and um, to be careful with that. So we were expecting violence in some shape or form, right? Um, we just weren't sure how it was going to happen. Um, it's very so understandable. We were, we were thankful that we weren't met with violence. Um, however, um, I think the city knew that it was best for them not to meet us with violence once again. Um, particularly with the large crowd that did show up because um, I think if violence would have broke up, broke out on behalf of the city, things would have turned out way different. Yeah, I agree. That would have been so bad for him as the mayor and for the city. <laughs> so I think that, yeah, that's true. But yeah, it's true. You, you really don't know what's going to happen because um, there's other forces outside of our city too that can impact it. Um, how do you feel about the mayor's response so far? and and other people's response other you know city elected leaders and other people's response to divesting from the police and reinvesting in communities um i would say that 
the mayor's response didn't really do anything for me um, and didn't make me feel like he would actually take any action. Um, when Justin Ellicker first came into office, he definitely, as his while he was running his campaign, he did provide a sense of hope, right? And the fact that we would get something different from this incoming administration, um, which is why we were all rooting for him so bad, right? But now what we've realized is that we're not quite sure that what he promised during his campaign is what he's doing now that he's in office. Right. So I would love to say that I believe that he's actually going to take action on these demands, but he's just proven that he probably won't. And for me, I, I also, it also, the response also didn't really do like much for me also because we've had, like, I've had a mayoral forum. I've hosted one and Mayor Elliker was, you know, on the board, obviously, for that. And he promised a lot of things, you know. He was making a lot of statements, you know. And now it's just like, mm, it's not really, you know, looking like the things that he said were going to happen are happening. So it didn't really do anything for me. I'm kind of not surprised. Right. It sense these are politicians we're talking about, you know, things happen. I'm not really surprised, but like eh, disappointed. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, I mean, I think especially since I know for some people like saying defund the police is such a radical idea, except that when you start actually talking about the logic of all of it, like why do we need police to recom- like 80% of the things they respond to are like nonviolent things, even, probably even more like mental health issues, property damage issues, like things that you don't need armed military trained people to come to, right? So like, why not just like it just when you start really talking about it, and you don't just buy into this idea of we need police to be safe, then it doesn't actually make any sense. (laughs) Yeah. And I was talking to some people that I know. And I was like, how many times like have your has your family called the police in the last five years? And none of them like had like none of them could remember the last time they really like called the police for anything in the last five years. So like that just goes to show like that just goes to show we did a survey on like everyone around the city. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like it wouldn't add up, you know, as much as they're saying we need them. Yeah. And not only that, we don't have an issue when it comes to defunding education. We don't have an issue when it comes to defunding public health. If that's not an issue with being defunded, why is there an issue with defunding policing to be good? Yes. So what's next? Like, you know, this is a long game. Like, I mean, I know even what got you to this point was a long game. So what what's happening now? What are you working on now? Yeah, so this Friday, we will be um, taking up a space for our Liberation March and Teaching, where we will be um, really taking time to educate people around why defunding the police is important, um, while also taking the time to celebrate our community because it is Juneteenth. Um, Aside from that, we are going to do some escalation actions um, during the summer, um, and start it would be started next week where we'll be, be we will be protesting every other Friday um, at different elected officials houses different city buildings to really hold our politicians accountable to our eight demands and we will not let up until our demands are met mm. and is there um, like 
also a letter writing campaign or phone calling, like other ways that you're asking people to put the pressure on in addition to showing up for protests? Yeah, so we will be releasing all of that next week. So I would definitely say to pay close attention to our Citywide Youth Coalition Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. And tell me a little more about what you're doing on Juneteenth. So Juneteenth is the celebration of when um, people who were still enslaved in Texas, but it was like two and a half years past when the Emancipation (laughs) Proclamation was signed. So this is like, we we often talk about it as an Independence Day um, for Black folks who were enslaved here. Um, But tell me what you're doing for your your Juneteenth celebration. Yeah, so we are doing a march um, from the green to an undisclosed location at the moment. (laughs) Um, But we, once we get to that location, there will be tents set up um, with different community orgs who will be doing teach-ins on different topics. There's going to be food and different food trucks. Um, We're going to have a stage with different performances. Um, We're going to have dancers. It's just really going to be a time to not only educate the community, but to really share culture and love, music, and food. Mm. Cool. I wonder if you have some reflections on what you're noticing around the country and around the world, around both continued police violence and the protests, and how that's sort of impacting you and your work. Jamila, do you have any thoughts? Um, I feel like it was, it's impacting me a lot. Like it's making me feel like when I when everything first started. Like obviously it didn't first start happening, but when it first like the big stuff started happening in the beginning of like the last this month or whatever, I felt like I was sitting on my hands. If that makes sense, like I couldn't do anything, you know, about it because I was like it's not happening in my city. Even if it was happening in my city, I probably couldn't do anything because COVID and parents and things like that. So I know a lot of the youth. We're just feeling like we were stuck in one place and we couldn't do anything about it. So like us having our rally was like, okay, we can do a little something, you know, even if it's not much, but it just shows like solidarity with everyone around the country and all of our brothers and sisters who are fighting this fight that we're fighting. So I think that it impacted me. It impacted me a great deal. Like just being black in America impacts me a great deal. So like, seeing all the people around the country actually fighting for our lives and things like that. It's empowering, but also it gets a little tiring, like doing this work sometimes and like just trying to live, you know, because we still have to worry about going outside and like actually, you know, having these encounters in our neighborhoods and things like that. So I don't know. And there's just a lot of like, different like violence within our own communities and things like that like there was a lot of things still going on last week this week even around stuff like that so there's fights within fights within fights so when you say stuff like that you just mean people acting violent towards each other within your community or um yeah i mean there there's been a lot of talk recently this week about black men and women having their you know quarrel that they always have black women sticking up for everyone and no one's sticking up for them we're losing black lives black women lives at an alarming rate and no one's talking about it right that's also a thing that's going on within our community but it's like everything else is going on too so everyone's like which fight do we tackle first so it's like all 
overwhelming. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because it's something um, so often there is this focus on like black men because they tend to be more visible um, acts of police violence against black men. And I think there are more police acts of violence against black men, but there are so many against black women and so many against trans women, black and brown trans women. And um, it leaves out half the picture. And that's really- Yeah, black women, black queer people are usually often forgotten even though we are black, like, you know, so it doesn't, I don't like it, it doesn't make sense, but it happens. So another yeah. thing we have to deal with. Yeah. What are you doing to um, kind of nourish yourself or just take a break or deal with like how exhausting or overwhelming this can be sometimes? Um, I'm just, I'm just like trying to like stay with my family, like, you know, be around them more, hang out with my friends, like just making sure that like all my people, my like, close people are okay mentally because I have a lot of black queer friends and black girlfriends. So it's like black female friends and some like the femme identifying friends. So I just have to pull them close and like make sure that we're all okay because we are usually forgotten, but this we're also like usually in the front lines fighting, you know? So we, we have to make sure to take a step back and like look at mental health because that's also a prominent thing that's also killing us at alarming rates. So I think I just try to like relax, light a candle. It's so small, but it helps. Like mm-hmm. try to like relax, listen to, listening to music and just the creative things, paint, art, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. That's great. Jeremy, how about for you? Yeah, I before I wanted to do this organizing work, I wanted to be a baker. So I take my time off to just really spend time in the kitchen baking cakes. Um, and I'll just like message random people like, hey, do you want a cake today? I have an extra <laughs> one. <laughs> so I've really just been taking time to spend time in the kitchen and do some baking. That's great. I totally feel you on that front. <laughs> that's what I do too. Mm, that's really great. There's so much more we could talk about, but I wanted to invite you to talk a little bit about Queer Camp that you're running right now, just to help let people know what you're doing and and what's happening. Can you, I mean, Jeremy, do you want to start and explain what is Queer Camp? Yeah, so we are on our third year now of um, Queer Camp, right, which is the first um, camp in Connecticut that's specifically focused on Black and Brown um, LGBTQ youth, right? Um, While we welcome everyone to apply and be a part of the camp, we do center Black and Brown youth, Black and Brown queer youth specifically. Um, The camp is dedicated to teaching young people Um, how to be anti-racist organizers and teaching them the history of Black and Brown queer organizers um, throughout times. Um, This year, because of COVID, we had to change a lot of the work that we were doing with Queer Camp, right? Usually Mm -hmm. Queer Camp happens the last week of the month of June um, because we like to line it up with the anniversary of Stonewall. But um, because of COVID, we switched to doing Queer Camp the entire month of June. Um, And we're hosting one workshop every day from 12 to 3. Um, And it's been fun. Um, We also took our resources this year and made um, all of the funding money that we received into a mutual aid fund and made sure that we were helping every one of our young people who were a part of Queer Camp financially. So we were really um, excited and thankful to be able to do that. But the camp, it's, it's a really um, 
it's a, a labor of love, I like to call it, right? Because it's really providing young people the space that I wish I had when I was in high school. Um, and I'm just so thankful to be able to do this work. Mm. Jamila, did you want to share anything about that? Yeah, being a part of Queer Camp for last year and this year have been a good experience for me. I think that, like Jeremy was saying, like being a queer youth, you want this and we need this because if we, there's not a lot of spaces for us. And even if there are a lot of spaces, they're catered to white queer people usually. So this space is a great space for us. And it's sad because COVID that we can't like be together like in person because I feel like it makes our bond a lot more stronger, but we're hanging in there and we're really like trying our best to stay connected and like have a great time, even if it is virtually. So it's been great. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad you were able to still do it. Yeah, did you want to say something? No, I would just say that the camp has definitely grown more than just Connecticut. Um, We've had participants from New York City. This year we have people from California. Um, So while we are focused on Connecticut and specifically New Haven, we do welcome everyone from across this entire country. Mm, That's great. So how can people um, follow y'all and and stay in touch so that they can support your work as at moving forward? Yeah, so you could follow our Instagram at citywide.youth. Um, and then you can follow our um, Citywide Facebook page um, under Citywide Youth Coalition, Inc. Great. And I will post those links on the tableunderground.com and put link Lucy Gelman's amazing article that she wrote up about the protest. So people, I'm not even going to try to like rewrite anything because that just like nailed it. So I'll link that article so people can see more of what you accomplished on that day and your your list of demands. Um, But I'm really excited that you have these things moving forward, these like protests and letter writing and stuff like that so that more people can um, can support. And I'll definitely be be promoting that info out beyond the youth community (laughs) into other communities. Thank you both so much for taking time to to talk. Thank Thank you for having us. Yeah. You're listening to The Table Underground. I'm your host, Tegan Engel, and you can find out more about this show, including links and photos and other resources at thetableunderground.com. Please follow us on all the social medias and listen in to past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. This is WNHH 103.5 Community Radio in New Haven.